outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 273. And today on the show, we've got a fun conversation from our annual Iowa shed hunting camp in which we're talking shed hunting off-season whitetail prep and lessons learned, and we're tackling a little bit of listener Q&A. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx, and today I'm sitting in Iowa for a kind of unique uh, podcast of sorts. We're actually sitting in a truck outside a restaurant. Uh, We just had a fish fry tonight, and... uh, I'm here with my buddy Ross Haas and my buddy Uncle Peter. Hello. Thank you guys for for making this work. We're we're struggling with the post fish fry kind of food coma. <laughs> yeah, Would you say that's is that accurate? Hitting us hard. Ready for bed. Yeah. yeah. So if Ross sleeps his way through this one, forgive him. Um, well. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time Ross slept through a podcast of yours. <laughs> but hey, I digress. Uh, well played. Yeah. So so I did a crazy thing today. I was planning on coming out to Iowa for an extended shed hunting trip slash do some podcasts, things like that. And I just had a bunch of funky things come up with my schedule um, where I had to go to some other places. And the time to do the Iowa trip got kind of cut. So I was sitting here the other night, last night, thinking to myself, if I, what am I going to do? I'm not, I'm basically not going to be able to go to Iowa for the shed hunting trip that we've been talking about at all, unless I somehow try to fit it in this weekend. Um, but I only had one day I thought I could get away with that. So at about 1030 last night, I decided, you know what, I'm going to wake up at 330 AM tomorrow morning. I'm going to drive this so many hours, six or so hours to Iowa and we're in a shed hunt for the day. How would how's that going? Well, well, no, well is not the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, is I'm going to try to do this all day shed hunt and then leave still tonight. So that put a lot of pressure on today's shed hunt. That's that's to your point, Peter. Yeah. Well, you did um, find one, two, one, man, one. Yeah, one. Yes, Come. yes. I found one shed. Um, but I think we gotta, we gotta set the stage just a little bit more because a couple things are worth noting today. 
I do want to talk about our shed hunting trip. I do want to talk a little bit about how the shed season in general has gone because we're kind of kind of peaking shed season right now for most people, and then it's going to kind of start transitioning over to turkeys here soon. Um, speaking of turkeys too, Peter, Yes. I thought, you know, last year at our shed camp, our Iowa shed camp podcast, you were with me and Ross and Ben, and we spent a decent amount of time talking about, you know, your hunting journey up to that point and some of the things going into last season. So if you'll let me, I want to grill you a little bit about how your 2018 season went. Sure, we can do that. That's, so Your crowd's going to love that. So let's, <laughs> so, let's have them let's have so, so I do want to do that. And then we've got a couple audience questions I wanted to um, tackle if sure. we've got time. So the shed hunt, though, uh, I, I think you were seeing these, Peter. But tell me if you didn't, Ross has been sending our group text over the last few weeks, you know, frequent messages saying how good it's going to be this year for the <laughs> shed trip. Um, specifically, one honey hole of, 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 of Ross's that we've been shed hunting for a number of years now. And he's like, this is the year. It's going to be double digits on such and such a place. Yep. 20 sheds. 20, 20 sheds. 20 sheds. Yeah. 50 acres. Yep. And... So I specifically was thinking last night as I'm laying in bed at 1030 debating whether or not I should do this. Any other year, it would be stupid to drive all the way to Iowa <laughs> for a one-day shed hunt. Yeah. But this is the year for this the double-digit sheds in yeah. one spot. Ross promised me. <laughs> so I did it. Last well, night Last night I was getting ready for bed. Actually, I was just starting to lay down. Mark texts me. So it's going to be good, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's going to be really good. I mean, I'd come if I were you. Yep. That was me like doing a little self, uh, self-debate. self Like, is this a stupid idea or not? Yeah. Well, if we could find the guy's footprints and we could figure out who was there before us, unfortunately, we yeah. might have a good idea of what they, they found. So we were – I would have to concur with Ross. I drive by the same spots, and um, it was just – pounded with deer tracks, uh, thick cedars, a lot of ridge lines, and just standing standing food of many varieties for them to eat. And I would say we would have found at least 15. I wouldn't go as high as 20. but uh, <laughs> Yeah, 15. Yeah. yeah. So 15 yeah, why, would, have been good, it would have been a good number for us. But. Why, Ross, did you think it was going to be so good? Um, it's just a good – the woods is just a good wintering kind of like bedding area for the deer. Like Peter said, it's got a lot of thick cedars and there's a lot of sun-exposed areas. And it's the closest cover to to where they were feeding. So there's a bunch of standing beans that got left in because they got flooded or something like that um, in the fall. So the deer were just piling in there, just pounding it. So when I would drive by and check it at night, there'd be, I'd see 75 deer, no no problem, just from the road. That's and, crazy. Yeah. And so That's I was crazy. really excited, you know, and so... And now we're just getting that snow melt. We had some warm temps this week. Had a lot of snow on the ground last week. So we decided, well, now is probably the best time because everybody else has been watching this place too, and I'm sure other people have permission um, to walk it. So we thought, well, let's let's try to do it as soon as possible, and that's why that's why we told you 20 sheds tomorrow, Mark. You should probably come down here. Yeah. I thought Mary, which I like to call her Mary, but her name is Sarah. I thought she had, we had VIP access. VIP. It's actually Stacy, by the way. Oh, Stacy? Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, yeah. What, no. what, we got to be what, so what secretive. Happen, what did happen with that, Ross? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. They're, I mean, super nice lady. 
and uh, grateful that she lets us walk in there. But fortunately, we show up, and like within a matter of like thirty seconds of getting there, there's boot tracks everywhere. Pretty fresh ones too. Oh, really, really fresh. And then, and then not just fresh, but then boot tracks that were old too. So right. somebody had been in there a ton. It's probably one of those things where you got permission hunt years ago or permission years ago to do something and you don't always re-ask. You just kind of assume you can go. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, it was fun still. Yes. Yeah, so. It used to be it used to be fun, but then people started talking about shed hunting yeah. all the time. And Let's then, get a big shed rally. Yeah. <laughs> Have a shed rally. Look at how awesome this is, everybody. It, it, go out and do it. Yeah. You guys don't like the competition, huh? <laughs> and then we go we go shed hunting and then we find a bunch of boot tracks get all discouraged and then yeah. hey let's have a podcast about how sh- how awesome shed hunting is that'd be great <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk about it's it it's a vicious cycle a little tongue in cheek there but uh, yeah it's <laughs> yeah um so so what let's break down where we we did find some sheds though and for folks listening that are trying to learn a little bit more about finding sheds i think it's worth noting where we found them i'll agree um so i found one shed now this is on a separate property that we went to earlier in the day before peter was able to join us um, but where I found it was actually down in a bottom right near a creek crossing. Uh, but there was a single lone cedar down there in this bottom. And it was there was snow throughout the rest of the bottom except for underneath this cedar. And I just I saw that lone tree there and I thought to myself, that's worth checking for a shed. Walked over there and walked walked, looked at like the big opening, didn't see anything, kept walking and then stopped. And for some reason, turned and looked back the way they, the way I came. I think because there was all these trails coming down, I'm like, God, there has to be a shed around here. So I stopped, took a second look, and then somehow I had missed. It was kind of a small four-point side. was sitting down there underneath that cedar laying there. Saw it from the different angle. Um, but that's one of those things. I think you guys would all agree. Um, when you see those lone cedar trees, just always seems to be something worth checking, don't you think? Yeah, other properties I've shed hunted around here. Uh, kind of late season, I'll go hit all those kind of stranded cedar trees that are kind of up on, on next to prairie grass and stuff. And you get pretty lucky. I've found a lot of green, like basically horns over there for a couple of years. Nobody saw. So especially on a hard winter when when the deer are browsing cedar cedars more than usual. Like in a mild winter, they might not touch them really at all. But this winter was an exception, and so cedars are probably a good good place to look this year. Um, so then where else were, who, so I found mine first. No, you found the first one, Ross. Yeah. That little dink. Yep. You found a spike, right? Yep. Where was that? Fence crossing. Fence crossing. Yep. Okay. Second shed was underneath the cedar. Third shed of the day was. Was that me? It was that old one. Oh, that old one. That was, um, if you can imagine a prairie grass field, a gravel road, and then, like, that kind of thicket before a fence line. It was kind of going through the thicket, jumped the fence, and that's how I found it. So it was, that was uh, that was probably three years old. That was considered a, what would I call it, a chalk? A lot of chalk on that one. It, it was cracked and everything. So, I just, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not. Yeah, that was, that was there quite a while. Quite a while, yeah. Three years or so. Shed number four was you as well, Peter, right? Yeah, that was... Uh, my nickname, Perimeter Pete. I like to walk to the perimeter. If you can imagine this property having a, a fence line on the other side is private ground. We can't walk. That's all prairie. Uh, and the deer come out of this array of uh, cedars and ridges. And uh, I was just on the edge in between. It's like 20 yards maybe of just mowed grass between the fence line and the— On a road. <laughs> on a road, basically. <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, you guys, you guys, you traveled a long ways, Mark. I said, you go, go get the good stuff, and I'll just sit out here in the perimeter. And um, the last time we actually shut out here together, I did the same thing, just and on the other side of the road. You know what's funny? Is that, right, you always do this. You always say, oh, I'll go get the low-hanging fruit, and you always walk the edge, and then you find sheds on the edge. Yeah. So today, before you arrive, Ross said, hey, don't let Pete walk the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> you make sure you get it this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it didn't happen, did it? And then somehow we... We self-sabotaged and let you take well, it anyways. Ross was like, when are you going to get here? I said, well, why don't you guys just start walking, maybe walk the stuff on the other side of the road first, and when I get there, I'll just walk the green stuff, and then you guys meet up with me at some point. But he didn't like that idea. No, Ross specifically said we can't let him go free range. Yeah. Free range Peter is trouble. He didn't have any high visibility, uh, visibility uh, yeah. colors yeah. on today. No, he did not. He had camouflage on. That's yeah, not like you. That's no, can't keep track of you when you got camo on. Yeah, hunting life. Yeah, I think we talked about that last year. How you you tend to wear high vis orange shirts. We well, know I want you guys at. to know where I'm at. So when you got to do when you got to come over to do some filming for me when I got this monster shed, I want you to see me and kind of get a hey, there he is. Track him down. <laughs> high vis. Uh, high vis Pete found well, shed number four. Well, then usually looks like a the orange on worker. the orange on your hat matches the orange on my shirt. So it's true combination. Shed number five was Ross. Yep, that one, uh, not much to that one, except for it was just right in the timber where they where they had been quite a bit. It was on the just on the other side of a stump, so it was one of those ones where you, if you would have just went to the right a little bit, you probably would have missed it. Why do you think that shed was there? Do you think that there were deer bedded there, or is that just transitioning? Uh, I think just transitioning. I don't think there were, in that spot specifically, I don't think there were any beds, but yeah um like you saw when we went to the other side they were crossing that fence and coming into that timber quite a bit from there i think that deer maybe was moving in yeah or he was just up and browsing after being laying down but yeah how many sheds do you have so far this year ross uh 15 15. or something like that yeah peter uh i found a match set on some city property in the town i live in and i found one when i was uh I don't know if this is a tip or not, but uh, I found one when I was uh, looking at a property per- potentially to purchase. I was walking, and I just found one, so that was kind of cool. There you go. Yeah. Are, uh, are you going to buy a farm one of these days? I think so. Uh, we were talking in the past about as a business grows, uh, a lot of things are happening, and if you're self-employed, it's just getting the right financial people in your life with regards to accountant and um, making the, a strong decision what you can't afford, what you can't, and knowing what you can uh, can do. And I think that's the biggest thing. So, yes, there will be something. I'm hoping to get it closer to Ross, so i got to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. So. Um, something that Ross does, and this is actually one of the next things I wanted to bring up, something that Ross does really well um, and that we got to take advantage of today was getting permission and you get so much shed hunting permission ross i don't know how much i bet you have thousands of acres of shed hunting ground would you say that's probably true yeah just yeah. just in one 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 person actually well yeah, yeah quite a bit i mean yeah. a lot of it's not good for looking but yeah if you add up all the acres that you have access to yeah yeah and so and then you also have a lot of hunting permission um, and I just finished writing an article for TheMeatEater.com about um, 
some of the things I've learned about gaining hunting permission, some of the things that I use personally and other things I've learned from some of the folks I've interviewed on the podcast, stuff like that. So this whole permissions thing is on my mind, especially today now that we took advantage of. Interestingly, the spot that we shed hunted today, the honey hole spot, was a location that when I came out here maybe six years ago or five years ago, I was coming out to try to get permission to hunt. And you had, there were a few places that you had recommend that maybe I should check with because you'd, you know, driven by or you looked at the map and you thought it looked pretty good. So I added those spots to my list. And this is a property that I had on that list. And I knocked on this lady's door and I don't think she was home or maybe she was home. I don't remember what happened, but I didn't get permission. I know that. Um, but later we returned and then I think you returned and got shed hunting permission on Um, but this is all to say now that I'm thinking about this whole permission thing and now that some people maybe are out there right now trying to get somewhere to look for sheds over the next couple of weeks, um, we've never talked to you. I don't think about what you, like how you pull it off so well. Um, is there anything you can share about your process for getting permission? How you, how you do it? Cause if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were not into it right away. Like you were kind of nervous about it. You didn't want to knock on doors when you first, you know, start coming out into Iowa with our buddy Corey. I don't think anybody really likes doing it. Yeah. I still don't. I agree. Um, but I remember the one, I remember being with a friend of mine, his name is Josh, and he he was bugging the heck out of me. He was riding passenger and he was telling me, pull in here, pull in here, pull in here. And I just didn't want to do it. And And then finally we pulled in there. And of course, most people are, genuinely pretty friendly and and uh i mean we talked to the guy for 30 minutes and he was showing us all of his stuff and i don't know we were talking about everything and then one thing leads to another and then he mentions somebody and then you go talk to them and then and then as you start to learn learn about the area and you get to know people just more doors open up pretty much when i go about it i don't i don't expect when i go to the door i don't expect anything from anybody right when i go to the door um I just want to try to build a relationship, let them know who I am, know that they can trust me kind of thing. So like if I go to a door this year, I'm not going to expect to get anything out of it. I don't don't expect to be able to shed hunt or hunt or anything like that, but but just having a presence and getting to know people. And then one of the best things too is getting to know people in the area. If you get to know them pretty well, people always ask you where you're from or how you end up in the area. And if you know Joe Schmo down the road really well, I mean, it makes it easier to talk to other people as well. Yeah. I mean, I talk to people, yeah, go to the door and, you know, okay, so-and-so goes to church with so-and-so and, oh, I know him. And then you get talking and then it just one thing leads to another. And I think that helps out quite a bit versus just being some, some guy that just wants something from somebody all the time. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. So, so when you're saying that you're not expecting to get permission of any kind the first time you go up there, what are you asking about? No, I, I mean, I ask, you know. Like, I ask right away, but sometimes a no isn't, like, a no forever. It's just a no right then, too. Do you, um, do you go back every year or multiple years No, but I No, I have. But usually people usually know pretty quickly whether it will, whether it's something you should should ask again or if right. it's, you know, you should return or... Um, but just getting a good conversation started, I wouldn't beat around the bush too much. Just let them know who you are, how you ended up in the area. They always want to know why the heck you're at their door. Yeah. Don't stand right on the, don't look in their windows and be standing right next to their door, back off the stoop a little bit, stand back. Yeah. Do you remember the first time we did it together? You're much better than I am, by the way, but that particular property, we got, we asked, at first we asked to hunt and a lot of acreage there and he said no. And we, he said kind of no right away, but very nice. And he, he talked for a half hour and, before we left, we were walking away. I went and knocked on the door again, I think. That was me being aggressive. Mm-hmm. You went back to the same door after you? Well, just after we closed, I knocked on it. I think he was closing. We just said, hey, I said, you know, my, do you mind if we follow up with you in the spring maybe to just look for antlers? We go, we have a good time doing that. He goes, yeah, that'd be great. You guys, He said it was really cool. He goes, you guys presented yourself really nice. I, I don't have a problem doing that. So that was kind of, I think the presentation was key. We were non-threatening. So. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ross, sorry, Mark. No, go ahead. But Ross, don't you bring Kendall up there once in a while, your wife? I think that's a... No, she always waits back. She, she, she never it. goes? She oh, sits in the car, I thought yeah. That'd be really? A good, I think that would be a good yeah. technique, too. I have no. heard some people that do that. I've got a friend whose wife hunts with him, and they go tag team, and he believes that having his wife there with him helps him significantly. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, you know, exactly how to explain that, except for it shows that maybe you're a family man, you're, you know... Mm-hmm. Not too terribly creepy. <laughs> At least you've got a wife. Um, says uh, there's something that you can. Um, it kind of softens it, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is just don't don't expect to have a bunch of success like right right away. You know, every time you go out and you talk to people, you're learning about an area, you're learning about people, and it builds on itself, and eventually it leads to to doors opening up. 
Yeah. Tell tell me how often are you like going and doing this stuff? I hate doing it. <laughs> I don't do it that much, Mark. I feel like you do I, it more than most. I though. did back in the day just because I was really I was really motivated then. Now I'm I'm a little bit more content. I still ask. I think you can talk about now where he's he's did the hard work. Now he's just I guess he's massaging right. them. He's kind of Continually to what? massage, you know, <laughs> like special massage. Yeah, we, is it is it Fry Festival? You do that kind of stuff. The Fire Festival. Fire you, Festival. Like, <laughs> Did you guys watch that documentary? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ross, go get me some water. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or the other show. What's that one? Anyways, we digress. Uh, where are we going? Actually, uh, I totally I forgot. No, you were talking about massaging oh, your. No, no, you know, you just like you don't go, don't get permission. He goes, and then just and yeah. then stop, stop stop showing up and yeah. being thankful. You know, every year, you know, take. Take the landowner something. I was like taking them walleyes, and they love that. And stop and just say you're, in, you know, even if you're in the area, just stop and say hello. Everybody likes to talk, um, especially in seems yeah. like in rural, rural um, Iowa, yeah. northwestern yeah. Iowa. I don't think I think I've only been to a door twice where it was kind of like, ooh, that was not a good idea. <laughs> but yeah. but other than that, I mean, everybody's so friendly all the time. And yeah. it's just, and then, and then over the years, you, you, you just, you actually, you can make some friends and, and create some relationships that are, are, are even better than, you know, being able to hunt. Right. Yeah, you, you've certainly shown that that's the case. You've dealt some great relationships by way of that kind of thing. But I, I think, I think being down here though, too, like I, I, when we started, when we were living in Iowa, when we we came down here from Wisconsin, it was a little easier to get permission. Back when we were really trying to trying to find places to go, now it just keeps getting harder and harder. Other areas of the country, I think, would be, I mean, ten times harder than here. But but it is it is becoming more challenging for sure. Do you think that's just because more people are trying to get permission, or are you seeing? Outfitting happening by you or other things, um, leases it, or what? Leasing, leasing and then, yeah. you know, and then everybody else. I mean, permission to other people and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Years ago when we were kind of doing the some of that filming for you, I mean, remember the, the disgust I got when Ross texted me, look at this sign on our stand. We had no idea our best property was leased out and... Uh, and that's kind of the way it went. And then all the rest kind of, all that, pro- he had like three different areas we could hunt, uh, individual uh, farm properties. And they each one of them slowly went away. And then it was gone. That was really like end of an era too for you guys, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. We used to hunt together a lot back right. then. And then Ross got married. <laughs> Ross got married. But Kendall hunts all the time too. So that's actually great for them. But, that still uh, does bother you, doesn't it? Not for me so much. No. Gosh. Sure it does. Ross would rattle the deer in, and he'd go, Peter, there it is, shoot. i go, no, not big enough, son. <laughs> my favorite, and I can't remember if we've mentioned this before, my, my favorite, one of my favorite clips ever that we had for the Wired Hunt episodes was, <laughs> it was opening day in Iowa, 2013. It was like 31 degrees, too. Or yeah. 2012, Oh, yeah, it was like an that. awesome day. Awesome day. Beautiful. And Peter's up to bat first. He has the bow. Ross is sitting above him filming. Ross, were you even in Iowa then? No, I was in Wisconsin. I just came down to video you because yeah. I thought, hey, he's gonna, he's Smack gonna actually uh, let the arrow fly, yeah, shoot a big buck. So he's he now was it the split that it, came in first? Yeah, but there was a smaller eight that had great potential. Then the split nine or ten came in. Describe this buck a little more. No, no, no. That that young buck 
that had like super but potential. Like he seven. came through. Yeah, he came through with first. With the split, yeah. But then there's, yeah, well, he would. There was that one, one was okay. I'm okay with you letting that yeah. one walk. Yeah, well, that's you, fine. Apparently not on the film, though. Well, oh, no, no, that was just the way. It, yeah, no, it was. Can you paraphrase what he said, Mark? Do you remember? So when the big one came through. Bigger of the two. The yeah. bigger of the two came through. Ross says, Peter, what are you doing? Shoot. <laughs> Shoot him. <laughs> Peter's like, I don't think so. <laughs> <sighs> And I laughed very, very hard every time I watched that. Watching well, you two squabble up in the tree. Well, it, was a, it was like probably a four-year-old, 140-inch, uh, um, I, say he was 10, a, but, I think he was a great three. Whatever. Yeah, it was like a webbing. Yeah. It wasn't like a nice fork. It was just a webbing. And, and people a nice there, fork? What are you talking about? You're now you're talking about the little one. No, the split on the G2 <laughs> was just more of a web versus this big. This is why I hang out with these two. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you're not, you're getting them confused. No. I, it was right in front of me the whole time. It was a, it was a big deer, especially for, oh, for no, where you're talking where about we were that at. came in later. Yeah. Okay. No, there was a two at first. That's when you kind of yelled at. Oh, no, no, no. I'm okay with those. Yeah. Okay. The other one, yeah. I went home and I got sick to my stomach. Okay. Maybe I did yell at you for that. Maybe you're you, right. Yeah. yeah you, you passed did. on like a 130 class buck and a 140 yeah, and class. Yeah. That was a three and a half and had, it had a nice split going on G2, but that one had a lot of potential for the further year. They kind of went away and Ross was still disgusted. Then an even bigger buck came because we heard a smack. Remember that? Yeah. He was fighting somebody. Someone's, I go, I wonder who he was fighting. So that's what I was thinking was, who is he fighting? He comes in, I'm like, meh. G3's a little small. God, no, 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 no. What did I do? He just, well, he had nubs for G4s, but... Oh, yeah, that's that, right. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. No, like, shouldn't have mattered. Why'd you talk yourself out of that? Uh, <laughs> 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 25 yards broadside. Real real talk. Just standing there. He was at probably 140. What do you, what is the, what's the truth of the matter, Peter? Truth? I just didn't want to shoot him. So I drove... All the way down. Okay, here's the Wisconsin, real truth. Yeah. To sit in that tree to watch you <laughs> wash Kendall, a buck. Because Kendall, the year before, saw these 150s, 160s. I'm like, it's the first day of the season. And in reality, did I get another opportunity that whole year? Probably. But uh, Wait, wh- which one? Remember the one that was... What? Oh, the big... Oh, in public? Well, no. The big the, one? <laughs> the later on, the other one came... But we're losing the audience now. So Wait, what are you that, talking about? That, that 140 class deer I should have shot after the other two walked through, yes. I went home and I watched the video and I go, oh, my God, he's huge. You know, that was nice. Ugh. That was my mistake. I think it was just first first uh, first hunt of the year. I'm like, I got this because Ross had to lay down. We got this permission on this property. It's 300 acres right here. I get to hunt it all myself because Ross, Ross is in Wisconsin. Mm, that and brings I'm, up other memories. And I'm thinking to myself, I got, I'm like, I'm gonna wait. What's the difference? Because you actually did see a lot of good deer that year. Yeah, and that, I had a lot of good video for you that year. You did, yeah, yeah. So, um, so were you gonna say something, Ross? No, no, that's all right. Oh, we can, we can move. Do you on. remember? Was, he's probably pissed off because I went. Sorry really, for swearing. I didn't think he'd want to come all the way from lacrosse. No, no, okay, so the plan was the plan was I'm coming down to shed hunt. Ken and I are coming. We're gonna come shed hunt. He never told me. He goes and shed hunts it by himself. <laughs> Ross, you should see all the sheds I'm finding. No, 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 that's not what it was like. You were finding like you had like six little ones and you sat down on a stump and pouted because you didn't have any big ones. Oh. And then you found like five right together. Yeah. You oh, went yeah. through and cleaned it all up. And then we had to go back there and get get the seconds. <laughs> Unbelievable! Well, I had no idea. I was you, so I was mad. I know you were, but I had no idea. You I'm wanted. still mad. 
Well, yeah, you should be. Um, Damn. Anyways. So anyways, back to Peter passing deer. When we had you on the podcast last time, oh. Uncle Peter. Yeah. People might remember that as the uh, the closest thing we ever got to a Bigfoot episode on Wired to Hunt. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, and I did, you did allow me to market my business. Yeah. And I did get a gentleman that came in. What did this client say? Like I, I asked him, I said, did you listen to the whole podcast? Kind of question mark voice. And uh, right. he goes, no, it was good. Yeah. He didn't really bring it up. So I kind of let it go as, <laughs> as if he didn't know that I did big, Bigfoot uh and vocalizations. The, what do those vocalizations sound like? Again? Do the air raid siren just so everybody knows in no, case they hear. No, no, we got. We're in a public place right now. I'd hate to scare the natives. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, maybe good. you can reference back to that. Yeah, maybe that's a lot of editing. Yeah, but, um, probably not. But we we kind of talked about your journey as a hunter, how you kind of got up to this point. Um, some of the different challenges you've had, some of the good things that have gone on. Um, and we kind of left off hopeful. Like we thought that 2018 would be your year. Um, you had some confidence coming in. Yeah, we had a lot of good intel. Uh, I, so Before you go any further. Yes. I got I to gotta just make sure you don't forget that your 2018 season did begin very well with our Michigan turkey camp. Yes, that was exciting. Um because that's a story worth telling. You know, my, I don't have a lot of experience killing things. So that was actually fun to get out there and uh, kill something. So that was that kind of gets the food well, on the table. Tell, yeah. tell, so so well, we're going turkey hunting together. So I was calling. I got, I got lucky enough to go out there with Mark Kenyon, <laughs> the extraordinaire. Pretty good at calling in turkey. So we get out there and we're sitting on this, this little spot. It's probably like a fence row that's has a road coming through it. And uh, we isolate the turkey at 150 yards away, would you say, maybe 200? Yeah, something like that. And it, it comes down. Across and the field. We're watching this thing come forever. And it's yep. getting within 40 yards. And, and he's hammering away and, and calling. I'm like, oh, this is going to happen. And then I'm like, Mark can be, you know, I know Mark, and I'm not really scared of him, but I was actually scared of him during that hunt because he's like, Peter, don't move. I'm like, <laughs> Did it really? But I'm like, I gotta move. I mean, I've really gotta move. I'm going numb, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm seeing a different side of Mark here. I'm like, this Mr. like that cameraman episode, you know, this fall hunting where the cameraman was scared of you. I'm like, I, I guess it's real. And um, so I'm like, I gotta move. I'm like going numb, and I, you know, I'm. So long story short, that bird came in. I was. We did great, and then, and then uh, I'm not an experienced turkey hunter, so I probably should have just stood up and shot, right? I think you could have just swung your gun at that point and shot. Yeah, that was five, ten yards through brush, you know. Because he was, he was about to step on us. <laughs> he came, like, right yeah. in. And then if yeah. I remember right, like, we were waiting for him to yeah. pop out from behind a, some brush, and then he got right on top of you. I probably would have stood up and fallen because my ass was numb because I just was <laughs> in so much tenderness pain. You were in Peter's in so much tenderness on his turkey. Yeah. Hunt. So that that bird ran, walked right up to us, gobbling, and then wasn't Coco Corey? Corey was shed yeah. sniper. Wasn't he just up the way? He was probably like he seventy yards shot. away. Yep. He was set up over there, and yeah. And then yeah, so the like, turkey finally put putted away once he kind of saw something was going on. If you could imagine what Corey was saying in his head, what do you think he was saying? He was saying, "What's he doing? What's Peter doing? Why is he shooting? God, he never shoots anything. Why isn't he shooting?" Yeah. Um, so that didn't work out. But then, yeah. Then what? So then we I, we kind of 
do some fast forwarding here. We kind of walked around. We had a couple of opportunities, but didn't work out. Kind of run and gun, I guess, is the technique. And then we spotted some uh, in a different field where we could actually shoot the field, but we couldn't hunt the field, if that makes any sense. We couldn't walk the property, but we could shoot the fence line, according to uh, the farmer we had. And you were, if I recall, you were like, you're just, man, I want to go eat breakfast, Mark Kenyon said. I'm like, no, we can probably make this happen. I don't. Yeah. You think it was those waffles. Yeah. You, you, those waffles. Yeah. Were, he he was, wants the waffle. He does. He's a waffle boy. I do like waffles. That's yeah. true. Feed the tripod. That's what you I can always eat. say. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So I go, Mark, let's give this a shot. I go, it looks like the field uh, kind of, it looks like the train bends over there. They might be closer over there than you are here. So we kind of. Let's just say we went 50 yards back from the fence line, cut through the ridge, and then we, we got there. I go, man, this can happen. So I started going down the hill. and um, I stood up on top yeah, of the hill. Yeah, so what was our plan? Let, you kind of give the plan that we kind of came up with at that point. So if I remember So it was me and you and Coco. Corey, Corey, yeah. Yeah. And Corey. Corey, I don't remember what Corey did at all, to tell you. I think he just stayed up behind me, right? He was the my, he was the wind beneath my wings. He was the wind beneath your wings. He was encouraging me. And and yeah. I was back on the hill calling and you were gonna try to sneak down the hill, kinda crawl yeah. down the hill and then try because of the way the ground the, the slight hill and the brush, yeah. it looked like you might be able to edge your way up to the edge of the field. So there was a lot of crouch walking to begin with. And then and then it happened. You went prone. I went prone. And this is something specifically I here, like to do. If you recall the picture of me being prone in that log. Yes. Yeah, it's very, very dramatic. But yes. um, I, I don't recommend it for everybody. It's not for everybody, but you should try to go prone once in a while. So, so he went um, so prone, I'm, I'm basically, crawling on his belly. It, I think it all started because there was like a tree down, but it had a branch like this. So I, I couldn't kind of duck through it. So I just started crawling and I kept on crawling to the field edge. And um, all the while. Yeah. I mean, there was 10 yards to go. I'm like, I don't think this is going to happen. I go, it's got it. So I kept on crawling. These, they didn't, they didn't hear me. But you guys are making a cackle up top. Were, right, you, so were, was, you, at, were you at that point? Yep. But that once you were pretty darn close, I think we started trying to just get yeah. them to come, start moving our way a little bit because yeah. they were they were pretty far out there. Yeah. And we start once you finally got like into position. That's yeah. when we really that's like, when the magic let loose. Happened. Yeah. That and, was that was intense. In and there reality. was a hen started yelping. And then I would get her really pissed off. I'd keep yelping really aggressively back at her, and she'd keep going, and then I'd keep going. And then it would just start, you mm-hmm. know, going crazy. So I, at this point, I'm prone, just like you'd be shooting a rifle on the ground. And uh, I think I had a red dot, too, didn't I? Or was it a scope? Uh, I, don't I can't recall. Anyways. Ross's gun, right? I don't know. I think it might have been Dusty's gun. But um, yeah, and I just this big turkey. Uh, Ross, hate, Ross hates it when I say it's all fluffed out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, terminology. And it was coming, coming, coming. And then all of a sudden, at the last second, and I probably could have shot him where he was, but I wanted a little bit more because he was coming. Why not let him go further? Um, because, again, in a, in reality, you guys are about 20 yards higher than me, so to mm-hmm. speak. And so they were focused higher than where I was. And then this Jake just runs right in front of him and right at me. So I just, I let him eat it. And that was that was my first turkey kill, so that was pretty exciting. And drop, yeah, I mean, yeah. Was that fun? Yeah, and Coco come running through there, and he's like, "Yeah," he's just screaming, and uh, that was pretty cool. So it that was, was a good a lot moment. Of fun. Yeah, it was. I I look forward to doing that again this year. So. Yeah, that was that was an absolute blast, and I feel like it. It kind of took the edge off something. Yeah, in my my in just in me. So we, was, we were all proud of you. We were very proud yeah. of you. Yeah, like, genuinely excited, proud, and happy for yeah. you. I can still picture you walking into that. 
um, <laughs> the trailer, that beautiful trailer <laughs> with that Jake on your on your shoulder. Oh yeah, that was cool. I don't want to talk about the trailer though, <laughs> man. <laughs> you didn't really enjoy sleeping in there, huh? No, <laughs> I feel like I hovered the whole time with my hands at my side, six inches off the bed because I didn't want to. Just mice chewing on your earlobes. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, that, that sleeping bag zipped up so tight you could just barely see the white of his eyes. Yeah, pe- penicillin's on the list of my things to bring next year. So, <laughs> so turkey camp went well. Yeah, it was um, fun. You're feeling? Did you? I I feel like you like left that with some new confidence. Is that fair? To say? Yeah, maybe? I would say so. Uh, like I said, I think last year I'm not a, a big killer, but. I enjoy everything about hunting. I grew up with hunting. Uh, my father and brother, they killed everything they saw. And it just wasn't who I was. But uh, I have killed deer. I've killed pheasant, turkey now. And, uh, and who knows? What's next? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. So talk to us then about the 2018 deer season. So so we're going right back to our highlights. Yeah, we had some good intel from previous hunts last year. Um, I do hunt mostly state land now, and... Um, I, I, I partake in river access on some of these spots because it, for the benefits of it, you just cross the river and you're, you're up in your stand and uh, that's it. Deer don't know you're there. And this year the river was so high we did some testing during uh, like a midsummer's day in September and it was up to our chest where normally it's at our just above your knees or at your thigh. And it was just too, uh, too risky, I thought, going through there in the middle of the 
in the morning, you know, dark, heaven forbid, most likely you'll make it. But if you fall, that's just a little dangerous. So decided to just take the long way in and walk the whole property and sweep down into this river bottom. And I, I, I ran a few deer a few times, and I really think that just educated the deer that something was going on out of the normal. And, uh, and I didn't see as many deer as I had in the past, but I did see a nice one, you know, a nice 140, 150, looked to be an eight or nine pointer. And, and um, we did get a, a quality deer on camera, and um, that was amazing to see that on camera. So, A quality deer? Uh, if I said the word Don Higgins, does that give you an idea? <laughs> so a really big buck? Really big buck. Yeah. I, I never really thought I'd catch one of those on camera around here. So one photo and that, uh, well, five photos in that little series, but we never saw him again. So we're not sure where he resides, but he resides somewhere around that area. So now back to your, um, that encounter, you had an encounter with a really big deer. Didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't there a learning experience of that encounter? Yeah. So basically we set up on, which was, seemed like a primary scrape, uh, tree. Uh, we like to hunt this area around the early twenties and all the way to November 1st. It seems like it's best at that time. And last, the year before I had two, just two monsters go through there and, uh, with no opportunities. I was in the wrong spot. And then we moved everything to the right spot. We thought this year, uh, the scrape wasn't as active as it had been in the past, and and um, so we just didn't get the quality of coming through. But I learned this year they're still coming from the one spot. So next year, if I can uh, cross that cross that river and maybe do a little bit more mobile setup, I should be able to get a better chance at one of these deer because they're just doing the same thing. Gotcha. So I was hoping they go to that scrape like they did the year before. Uh, they didn't do it this year. Uh, we didn't get a lot of intel this year. We had a camera up in September all the way to October 15th or 16th, and a raccoon knocked it over. So we we don't know if that bigger deer would have been there or what type of deer were there this year compared to other years. So so that was distressing. So so you had one one good encounter, couldn't get a shot. Yeah, I was just 50, 50, 60 yards away, so no shot there. I did move to then, so I did move kind of then from where they were coming from and one great morning, I got one of the one of the first does must have went in the heat around there, and I saw this doe. It was awesome. She was running by herself, just crazy, and she's making all these crazy zigzag patterns all the way down this ridge and back up and down, jumped down to where I was, and at that time, I was watching a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. He started chasing her the opposite direction, but five minutes later, all these bucks come running on her same trail, and they all zigzag up and down the hill. I did have a good encounter there with maybe a good good four and a half year old deer i don't know how big it was really maybe uh maybe 140s pretty thick it seemed like not, not huge but um uh i didn't obviously i didn't do a lot of trimming in this spot well you can't but um i was up in my window was more forward where this came into my left which if you can imagine all these saplings growing so all these little tines tines and trees he was at 10 yards just couldn't get a shot do you think there's anything you would do like Anything you do differently coming into this next year now after these close calls you had or the failed access via water? Yeah, I, I think the, the water is the, the main access. Maybe do I get a kayak? I don't know. Um, just seems like a lot of work just to do that when in reality, if I can just go down this this bank, what I was doing, uh, that seemed to work fine. It really depends on the water, but 
If you had full-blown waiters, could you do it? Oh, I did have full-blown waiters. Oh, oh. It was just kind of... Two years ago, I fell in the water when I was up to my knees, and I ruined my camera and everything. So I just didn't... It was pretty fast, and when that water's fast through there, it, it turns up the underneath, and uh, it makes it kind of a tre- little treacherous. So A lot of big rocks. That, yeah, that you, a lot of big rocks that you kind of... I just think that it's kind of a faster spot, and you get you follow those waiters. Maybe I'm being a little wimpy, but I just figured it'd be easier just to do it this way. So I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. So feeling good about 2019? Yeah, uh, you know, I there is a, a dream buck on that property, and I I don't really I really don't worry about it. I just for me, is, let's get a nice one down. Let's find a nice one. There's plenty of them there. Uh, some things happen to this property. I, I'm not going to go into detail, but it makes it more, makes it a little harder for people to get to certain spots. So if you're not willing to put in the walking, uh, and it kind of slowed down some of the traffic, foot traffic this year, I noticed. And um, I think that did a lot, a lot of good benefit as well. Yeah, it seems like a little honey hole if you get yeah. into it. Yeah, so. Well, then... Um... Ross, what about your off season? Because we we talked to you back in November after you killed that big old buck, um, but you know I know that you're just like me, in that every year you're kind of overthinking everything, right? Yeah. Am I right in guessing that you probably think through everything and analyze all the little things that went right or wrong last year, and oh yeah, think about what you want to tweak. Do you have any big tweaks that you're planning for this off season? You know, where shed season is going to be done in a handful of weeks, and then it's you know either food plots or tree stand prep or scouting or all that. What's what's on your to-do list this offseason? Um, I think uh, I think for next season I'm going to try to move. I'm going to try to find something. I guess where I've been focusing, I haven't hit. There hasn't been anything I've, too big lately. So I think I might, depending on what the, the cameras show and stuff like that, I might have to move a little bit and find something maybe I – I get a little bit more excited about um, the quality of bucks just kind of down in that area right now. So thinking about maybe trying some public land again, um, moving around, trying to find some bucks. Um, other than that, though, I'm still in shed mode and then turkey turkey mode. So you might hunt with Pete again? Yeah, we can hunt again. Nice. Yeah. Would you really? What? Yeah, we did last we year. We did once or twice last year. Did you? Yeah. What's that like? Uh, to me, that's what hunting is, I guess. I, I enjoy the camaraderie part of it. Um, we talked about me buying land. I, there's some nice properties north of me, but I'm like, well, I'd rather be next to Ross or somebody, you know, like a buddy. Then we can kind of brainstorm together. You're just five minutes apart, ten minutes apart, and it just seems more ideal. So hunting with Ross is always fun because it just – get to chat a little bit or or you just kind of you know you got two minds out there versus just one so Pete Ross what would you say that's like oh no it's it's a lot of fun I I I, I miss it Peter yeah <laughs> Ross says I walk too fast that's the only thing yeah well if you get so sweated up like that you got to change all your clothes by the time you get to the stand that's a problem <laughs> yeah I guess you do you practically run does he really oh yeah is he loud <laughs> Is that something we got to work on? Well, he falls a lot. Yeah, I do fall. You got bad ankles. Really? Bad ankles and knees. Have we told the story about the climbing tree stand yet? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that was With a, a couple I, shed camps I, ago. I, I tied up the bottom with twine and it fell. Mm-hmm. 
rather than help me <laughs> right away. Rather than help me right away, he just took a picture. <laughs> You're just dangling. Remember how you thought you were just going to bear hug the tree? And well, I could have. I really would have had to. I mean, I'm you really su- think you could have? Yeah, I'm a survivalist. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to see me in bear country. Look at these deer just running here. Yeah, we actually have a bunch of deer running around in front of the vehicle right now, mocking us. The irony of us talking about a hunting strategy while there's how many are there? No, there was four or five. Four or five deer at one point. Yeah. Um, so you guys are hunting together. When you do that, Ross, do you <laughs> usually like to have Peter be the hunter? And well, in this situation, you guys aren't filming though anymore. So what would you just hunt separately then, right? Yeah, we could hunt separately. But I t- did I take the camera last time? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to try to get it. We'd like yeah, to, well, it was fun. We didn't see like really much of anything. But. Contribute one more time to you if we ever could, or sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Shoot that really big one. Yeah, oh, gosh. Can you imagine that? That'd be something. That'd be quite... So maybe uh, that's something Ross and I can do as a goal this year. Maybe we can... You know, we, we kind of know where it's probably living, but we don't know for sure. Maybe we can uh, do some scouting this, you know, spring or summer, put sets and cameras in different spots. Maybe it would be fun to try to track that deer down, you know? Um, yeah, it just all depends on... You know, where he's at. He's living somewhere where we can get him. That would be unbelievable if you guys kill that deer. Picture we got kind of suggests that he was bedded on public that day. Yeah. But I, I have a hard time believing just with all the pressure that he stays there past uh, mid-October when we got that picture. So I don't know. I wish you guys had that camera still running or wish that it hadn't got knocked over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, We raccoon knocked it over, so we don't know what we could have saw. Yeah, so it goes. We were traveling a couple hours to get to that public area. That was a long drive. Yeah, that's one of the problems with that. It's, it's like, It seems like it's in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so yeah, Ross's season, you don't need a whole lot. You don't need to do a whole lot of different changes in Sally Peter. No. You got some tweaks you want to make, but this is going to be your year. We all, all of, all of our, our group text buddies, we're all convinced that when you do kill a buck with your bow, it's probably going to be like a 180 non-typical giant. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah. quite certain that, that you're going to have some smashing success here soon. Exactly. Um, it's, the wanna, it's the way it has to be. I want to tackle a couple quick listener questions before we wrap up this little uh, BS type episode of sorts. Are you guys cool with that? Sure. All right. Uh, this is kind of just an interesting scenario to consider. Um, someone wrote in, said something along the lines of, you know, it's not uncommon for guys to talk about seeing bucks that have already shed their antlers before the season's over. So in light of this, I came up with an interesting hunting scenario. Let's say you've been running your cameras all year and you have, oh, shoot, I just exited out of the thing. You've been running cameras all year and you've got a sure enough stud on camera. 160 plus, once in a lifetime type buck. And for the sake of the story, let's say that he's highly identifiable even without his antlers. So let's say maybe there's a scar in his face. So you've hunted this deer all year, and one morning in January, you're walking to your stand and you stumble upon some sheds, and they are obviously from this buck. You pick him up and you go get in the tree stand, and right after daylight, here he comes. <laughs> he steps out right in front of you so you can take him. What do you do? Do you kill that deer even though he's dropped his antlers? But you have the antlers. Or do you not? I'd probably kill him. 
You can shoot him, huh, Ross? I don't know. I think so. I can just... Do you imagine the taxidermist could... Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's the same, same deer. You got the antlers. Yeah. I don't know. Peter? Gosh, no, I he's not going to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we just talked about this for the last how many minutes? <laughs> not going to shoot anything. <laughs> I've actually That's the thought, question you came I've, up with? <laughs> I've actually thought about that from a standpoint, if you're watching it eat and then you watch it come in and it one drops right there, like maybe with one horn and you know you have the other one, I, I thought you would, I would shoot. If that's a buck you want, and yeah. you have the antler, I mean, it's a cool story too. Yeah. Now, what if he had one antler dropped already, but not the other? But you've got permission on this farm. Nobody, let's say, nobody else hunts this farm. Do you, you don't have antler in hand, though? Correct. You don't have antler in hand. No. So would, you would have to make. You'd be betting that you could find the shed. I wouldn't shoot him. Let him go. Yeah. I wouldn't shoot him. No. What about this one? When this is something you know I had to deal with a couple of years ago. What if you've got the same buck that you've been hunting all this time, and he busts off some significant portion? Let's say half a main beam. Shoot or don't shoot. What does he? What does he look like? <laughs> let's just call him a big mainframe eight pointer. Well, let's say we'll do like the Holyfield scenario a couple of years ago. Big mainframe eight. Excuse me. But busts off his main beam. You know, past the G three. This private or public? Private. I. And and let's say are you you've chased him for years and you got close many years. I think at that point it's more about getting the deer than maybe the rack, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe at that point I might shoot shoot him, especially if he's not going to really amount to much the next year. So Steve asked me this question though. He posed, he's like, "Well, if it's not just about the antlers, if it's about the story, it's about the experience, the journey you've had with this deer. Why wouldn't you shoot him if he lost his antlers completely?" Or if he busted both both main beams, so would you shoot this deer if he both? Excuse me, if you've been hunting him for four years, over and over, all these encounters, but you can tell with the scar this is him, and he's busted both of his antlers off. Uh, maybe he's just got some spikes sticking up, main beam sticking up now, or something. Would you shoot him? See, I, I would. No. I would say that I probably wouldn't. But no, I wait till next year. But it kind of kills me to say that because I, part of me is like. Why does that matter? It doesn't. But I think the way I thought about it is if I was going to kill this deer that I've seen so many times and had experiences with so many different times, I would want to have that deer be the way I know him. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's where I was going. If he's not the memory that you have, then you're shooting something maybe you're, well, this is a double edge, but you're maybe not not as happy with him at that level or at that yeah, I mean, in some weird way, there's there's something there that mm-hmm. it's just, you know, part of the thing is, in, and again, it's obviously not all about antlers and rack and stuff, at least, you know, not for me, um, and I don't think for you guys either, but, you know, that is, it's, 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 a, it's a physical representation of that animal and that experience, when you have that rack on the wall or the mount on the wall or whatever it might be, and every single time I walk into my various rooms where I have deer on the wall, I stop and I look at them and I think about those memories and it all comes back. I I absolutely love it. I love just sitting in my main room with all the mounts and just looking at each one of them or taking my son to each one. I I love being able to look back and see that and and relive those moments. And it just wouldn't be the same if you don't see that same animal that you, that you saw Mm -hmm. originally, you know? Although we did have a deer once, Roz. Remember Twin Towers? 
Mm-hmm. He wasn't broken, but he just didn't develop nice on one side. It was just these two twin towers, like the World Trade Center, is coming off one side. One was a little taller than the other. The other side was a beautiful guy. He would have been a 150, 160 class deer. I'll just say 150 for sure. Said the other side match, but he was unique and just beautiful in his own right. And he his he was just like two huge spikes on one side, and then the other side was just gorgeous. So uh, I think it comes down to the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um. So speaking of in the eye of the beholder, um, Peter, you're one of my elder friends. Yes. Um, thanks. <laughs> And, um, I'm at the high end of your demographic. You are the high end of my demographic. You could be his dad. Yeah, I could have been. I actually <laughs> lived down by those guys. In Ann Arbor? I might have tapped Mark on the head one day at the candy store. I lived in Ann Arbor slash Tecumseh. Don't tap kids on the head at the candy store. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> be like, uh, oh, gosh. It's definitely one of the, the worst things you could okay, be doing. So the, you're, like, you're suggesting that I did that. I didn't do that. <laughs> but at one point, I physically could have walked by Mark and said, hey, little boy. You're you gonna, want some candy? You're going to run a podcast someday. Oh, so this <laughs> guy um, says he's 42, and he just started hunting this year. He's been intrigued with the sport for ages, and after watching, uh, in this case, it was the Mediator TV, TV show he was talking about, um, watching the show, listening to the podcast, he thought, you know, screw it, I'm going to try it out. So he went out and he got all the stuff he needs to hunt weapons, gear, etc. He's got a buddy who owns a thousand acres in Ohio and he's ready to hunt. His big question is he's just wondering what are the top three things he needs to do or focus on to make 2019 a successful whitetail hunting season. So this is obviously could be a very generic question, but I want us to think about for a 42 year old adult onset hunter. So for a new hunter, but who's, who's an adult at that age, at yeah. that point coming into this, what's one thing that we could each recommend for uh, Jim? Okay. Uh-oh. Shoot a doe. First thing. Explain why. Um, just to get some experience. So shoot a, just get some experience shooting at deer. Obviously practice and everything ahead of time, but, but um, shooting a doe would be a great first step. Get some venison, get some practice. Don't worry about shooting a big buck or any of that stuff. I feel Just, like you're talking to me. Well, maybe I am. I'm <laughs> glad you're listening. <laughs> but I think that I think sometimes listening to some of this stuff or reading things, it's all focused about on big bucks, and people can get kind of um, they th- they think they that's what they have to experience or that's what they have to to. Uh, or that's what's going to make a, a good hunt or a memorable hunt, and that's not the case anyway. In any in any case, so I, w- I would just focus on shooting a doe and and just learning about deer, watching deer, and starting from you know starting simple. Don't focus on all the the fine details because that will come once you once you get some experience. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's really good advice and kind of what I was thinking too. I th- I do think oh. that there's there's something about taking those baby steps like one step of the ladder at a time. And I kind of made the same mistake. I wish I had um, started shooting does earlier on because I wanted my first deer to be a buck. And so I passed on many deer over the years to try to get that first buck. And I think I would have grown a lot more as a hunter more quickly if I had, you know, just gotten that monkey off the back, you know. I should say shoot a doe or shoot a small buck. Yeah. Shoot the first buck, you see. Yep. Um Nobody cares how big the buck is. Everybody's going to be happy for you. Nobody, 
the only person that, that cares about what you shoot is yourself. Nobody cares if you shoot a big buck or a little buck. It's just, it's, it's you know, nobody's going to remember what you shot. Nobody cares. So do it for you. Yeah, do it for you. Totally. Yep. 100% Thank agree. Peter, you are the closest in age to this gentleman. Uh, yeah, I would have to say I, I heard 1,000 acres, and that can be very overwhelming, I think. I had access to 500 acres one time, and I tried to hunt the whole damn thing. I would maybe section it off, do your scouting, and figure out where you can hunt where you can't, and then um, go about it that way. I, that 500 acres I had to begin with, I was I was just jumping. I never really got consistent in everywhere, so... That was good, Peter. I like that. That'd be my eyes. I think Start maybe, with a small section. Yeah, yeah section it off a little bit. Figure out the best few spots in that area and then, you know, go from there. Yeah. And I will add that we did a podcast last summer, I think it was, all about um, beginners deer hunting or beginner deer hunting type information. It was called, I think it's episode 260, maybe. Um, or 160? Gosh, I should know this. Yeah, it is um, your damn podcast. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go- well, we don't have service down here, do we? But if you were to Google the Wired, Wired to Hunt Beginner's Guide to Deer Hunting, um, something along those lines, that I think would be a good resource for you, Jim, as well. Because, you know, there are a lot of new hunters that uh, pop into the Wired Hunt podcast, and sometimes I maybe don't do a good enough job of, of helping those folks out because we do tend to go really deep into the weeds and things. Um, and it's worth, it's worth remembering that, uh, it is important for us all to, you know, try to help out those new hunters too. And I think that's the one piece of advice. What do you got here? 216. Yeah. The size of that buck we saw. 216. Um, the size of the buck we saw. Never mind. Oh, (laughs) I know what you're saying. Seriously? (laughs) Is that too much information? I gave. You already gave too much information. It's like nobody's going to track it down. Well, whatever. (laughs) Uh, what I was trying to say was that that was our advice to Jim. Uh, I think my advice to the rest of our audience is to just consider trying to be a mentor for a new hunter like Jim or a young person who maybe wants to get into it. Um, that's a goal of mine this year is to try to do a better job of that and um, something maybe worth considering for all of us. I know, you know, would you consider yourself a mentor, Ross, to Peter? Because you guys kind of had a relationship like that early on, right? No, I'm pretty much, what did we do that first time? How'd that go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, sh- the, I, showed, was... I showed up in tree bark camo. <laughs> this was about 90, 2007. Yeah, yeah that some, wasn't, wasn't very popular back then. Uh, I, he goes, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm going to find a trail and sit on a rock. Because <laughs> it was a lot of rocks around here. And I just pretty much said, all right, you, see you later. And I saw like so four or five deer. <laughs> I saw four or five deer. Maybe that's why we had the conversation no, no. we had no, to start this be. podcast. No, he, later, you know, because he knew that I hunted, but he, I'm like, I never had a tree stand. He goes, okay, we're going to go to Dick's or wherever we went and got some tree stands and climber, and then it all started from there. So, And all the adventures ensued. Yeah. And here we are, sitting in a truck, after eating catfish. Watching deer. Watching deer. And I think that is a good place for us to end this quick episode. But uh, it was a good time, guys. Thanks for having me along for the shed hunt. I get a kick out of every time I get to come out here, and whether it be deer hunting or shed hunting or just uh, BSing. It's uh, like you said, Peter. I think that is a very wise set of words. It is about the camaraderie. It is about the relationships and the people. And sometimes I'm guilty of 
getting so obsessed with the end goal of trying to kill a deer. I get really, really into it, obviously. Um, I sometimes lose track of just the simple things. And uh, I think that something you've got very right is the fact that you prioritize that. Well, thank and, you. And uh, thanks for being uh, that role model for us, Uncle Peter. You're welcome. I love you. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. <laughs> thank you, Peter. And Don't Ross. be afraid to say that. Yes. Glad, glad you could come down. Yeah. It was uh, it was a good time. Next time you promise double digit sheds, though, Ross, I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical. The number one tip for anybody is don't count your sheds before they're hatched. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it seems like bad luck. Yes, yeah, it really is. That's all right. Next time, right? That's right. All right, let's shut this down. And that will do it for this episode of the Wired Hunt podcast. So I will just ask you, if you haven't yet, feel free to head on over to iTunes and leave a rating or review of this podcast. If you want to follow along more about what I've got going on in the whitetail world, check out the Wired to Hunt Instagram account or Facebook page. And other than that, I would just say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in and spending your day here with us. Best of luck in the woods if you're scouting, maybe even starting a turkey hunt. I know that's going to be kicking off for a lot of people. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.